Welcome to the Christian Coach Podcast, where our mission is to serve coaches through conversations so they can lead like Jesus. I'm Chad Simpson. I'm joined by my co-host, Jim Good. How's it going, Jim? What's up, Chad? Looking forward to another great episode, man. Let's go. This this has been just a a blast. And uh, just getting into today's uh, guest, we got Roger Leip um, with Nations of Coaches. He's the, uh, the director of character coaching at, at Nations of Coaches. And uh, just thinking through, um, you know, coach, if you're listening to this and you don't have somebody in your corner, like really thinking through, like, who's coaching the coaches? Um, and just really essential uh, aspect for your coaching. And so um, Roger Light, he was a longtime staffer with FCA down at Southern Illinois with uh, the Salukis. Um, I grew up in middle Illinois, just a few hours north of where he was serving and, and his name uh, rep, rep, reputation had had spread. Um, people had heard of him, all, all the great ministry he was doing. And I just read his book uh, as I just started as a chaplain. Uh, excellent book for any chaplains out there called Frontlines. And I'm sure there's more out there that he's written, but this is the one that I picked up and it was just such a gift and blessing to me. But Jim, you work with Roger. Uh, which, what do you got to say? Oh, incredible guy, incredible resource, uh, man of God. He is um, just living out his faith. And like you said, I I met him about a year ago and now having some daily interaction. And just to um, reference the quote you said, um, you know, Dr. Billy Graham says this, a coach will impact more people in a year than the average person does in a lifetime. But then the quote continues in which we leave off and it goes on to say, but who's coaching the coaches? So again, any coach out there that's um, kind of maybe thinking through the process of adding a chaplain, a character coach, man, Roger would be a great resource. Um, I read his book, Free to Compete, and man, just give some insight into what the chaplaincy uh, looks like. So enjoyed this interview uh, with Roger. Uh, enjoyed listening to his perspective. And I, I would say tune into um, this idea about an integrated life versus a compartmentalized life. And uh, man, enjoyed it, Chad. I don't know if you had anything that we should look forward to. Yeah, no, that that was excellent. I think for a coach to realize just all the behind the scene things that, that this uh, chaplain is doing, I think you can kind of get some insight into, into the day in the life and just the heart behind uh, a chaplain or a character character coach. But we're just so excited for Roger to come and share all of his experience and wisdom with us. And we just want to share that with you. So let's jump into this episode right now. Roger Leip, it's uh, so good to have you on the Christian Coach Podcast. I first heard your name about 11 years ago and, uh, hmm. and a friend of mine with an FCA. And, and uh, you were a mentor to him and uh, he's oh. he's been a mentor to me. And so we've uh, our, our paths have crossed here indirectly, and it's just great to see you face Who's to that? face. Daniel Chapel, uh, oh, sure. Daniel Daniel married a, a girl from my youth group, and so we oh, really no kidding. Wow. Yep, small world, huh? It um, is. But thank you for coming on, and just uh, super excited to to hear all of your experiences and, and wisdom. But just right off the bat, we just like to get right into it. So, what does it mean to you to be a Christian coach? I think in simplest terms, it means to coach in a Christ honoring way. Really simple. Gotcha. Coach in a way that honors Christ. Yeah. Gotcha. Lots of folks, you know, in my experience, have known lots and lots of coaches across a whole lot of years. 
And many of them express themselves, I'm a Christian, but I'm a coach. And they say, but they don't mean and they mean, but, and they draw a distinction and they, they live that compartmentalized. You watch him at church on Sunday and he seems like, Hey, there's a committed Christian guy. You watch him on the sideline on Friday night. And who is that raving lunatic? Which one's the real guy? That's a real issue for a lot of coaches. What would you tell that coach that that he's compartmentalizing this and and splitting it up into two different uh, worlds? Yeah, some of them I've, I've said, which one of these is the real guy? I see two different men. Which one do you want to be? And they say, I don't know how to do it otherwise. I said, well, then let's talk about how to do it otherwise. From, we, then that starts a long-term conversation and process. That's good. That's good. From your experiences, what have you seen – uh, coaches that are coaching in a Christ-honoring way, um, what what might you see from that? Uh, what are some um, some ways that you could just tell, like, hey, this guy loves Jesus, and, and it's visible that we can tell? I'd say largely they are way more interested in the development of the player than they are in simply the results of the game. That's a that's a huge thing all by itself is they see the coaching process as more of a developmental process in the people than it is development of a program or the development of a win-loss record or, no, it's about the people. And so uh, <clears throat> that and, and then, you know, in helping them interact with people like Joe Ehrman and other people who are doing really significant stuff about coaching. And, you know, Joe just punches you in the nose with the question of why do you coach? Why do you coach the way you coach? What does it feel like to be coached by you? Ouch. That really challenges coaches. And if they'll look those things in the eye and deal with them, it can really transform the way they coach. And they can become very much a Christ-honoring coach by their day-to-day operation, how they do it. It's really good. Joe, Joe Ehrman, uh, reading his books and following him, he was key mm-hmm. for me, and I'm, I'm 23, 24, trying to figure out uh, how to coach. Is there anybody else that has really shaped your view of um, of, of being a Christian coach and, and trying to uh, live, live it out? Oh, yeah, there's several. But at the top of the list are people like Joe, um, people like Jeff Duke, who's at Central Florida in the 3D coaching stuff that he introduced through FCA. And then coaches like John Wooden, who did this, uh, coaches like Dean Smith at North Carolina, other men who demonstrated their faith in the way they coached the game, even more than what they talked about. They demonstrated a Christ-honoring ethic in the way they coached. That's really good. And just one more follow-up from that is mm-hmm. um, for that young coach out there that it's like, all right, I, I love Jesus. I love my sport. I'm, I'm pretty good at it. Um, do you have like a, a fundamental, like step one to, to going on this journey? Would you have advice yeah. for that person listening? Yep. I would say to treat your life in sport and uh, all of your life in an integrated fashion rather than a compartmentalized fashion. It's way too easy for us in sport to almost kind of take on multiple personas or personalities where 
I can behave one way on the court or on the field, and I can behave a different way when I'm with my wife and kids or when I'm at church or when I'm in any of these other associations, we can compartmentalize ourselves and wind up being radically different people, holding different values and different uh, ways of doing things. When It's much healthier and much more uh it, it just is better it's better for all of life if you integrate yourself together to where your life in Christ permeates and informs everything that you do. That is a, a great way to go about it and creates a whole lot uh, fewer points of disconnection and points of frustration because you are who you are, the same person all the time. That's really good. And I, I know you've had the opportunity to sit down with with uh, uh, who knows how many, but so many coaches and mm-hmm. one-on-one type of relationships. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just curious, you know, if you sit down with them for, for a year or maybe four years um, as a as a leader and a minister, a chaplain, what are your what do you want that coach to to know, you know, by the end of that time, if they were to leave leave the state, take a new job. And what, what are you hoping that they really take away after your discipling of them? Yeah, I maybe as much as anything, I want them to have a genuine understanding that I'm communicating to them that God loves them in a very genuine way. Absolutely. You're not playing. This is not a religious thing. No, this is life. Secondly, I want them to know that I love and respect them personally. I do. Yeah. You're loved and respected. I want to be a part of your life, whether you're here for 20 years or 100 or you're here for a year and you transfer elsewhere. I'm probably going to keep you in my phone and I'm probably going to stay in touch because I love and respect you. That's what I wanted to connect, that this is a real thing. That I'm not playing a game. I'm not uh, trying to tick boxes in a, in a job description. Nope, you're, you're important to me. That's really good. And it, and it seems like uh, that desire for a Christian coach to act and, and in this way of loving and serving the players is one of the keys to them, um, you know, having this picture that, that God loves me, too. And just one thing I, I picked up on uh, that, that's so important to you is knowing knowing uh, the names of the people on the rosters yeah. of where you serve. And mm-hmm. um, I'm just curious, is there anything um, else that, that you've seen, you know, be very, very important other than just knowing their name as you show up to try to let them know quickly, Hey, I'm in your corner. I love you. Yeah. This is the, the difficult thing, uh, depending on what sport you, you, in which you're serving, like right now I'm serving in basketball primarily. Well, there's only 15 guys and, and a half dozen coaches. So it's not that difficult to know everybody by name and all that. But if it's, if it's football and there's 105, plus more than a dozen coaches, that becomes a challenge. Definitely. And so the, the simple thing to do is see it all as the team, the coaches, as two entities. No, no, no. There's all these individuals out there. And so to know their names, to be able to look them in the eye and call them by name and speak to them directly one-on-one is of immense value. Because let's suppose you're that 18-year-old freshman who's come from all the way across the country and you don't know anybody and all of a sudden you're in this strange place with all these new players and you're the it's, it's your first day of camp and guess what I was the best player in my conference that's why I'm here but guess what everybody's fast everybody's big everybody's strong oh crap they're all faster and stronger than me he feels 
alone and uh, adrift in this ocean of people. And, but if I can look them in the eye and say, Hey, Johnny, how are you? How are things back in San Diego? Suddenly there's a connection. That stuff matters. That is important. And that kind of thing, look them in the eye, ask a good question and then stop and listen. Those things coupled with learning their names really help you make a personal connection with players. That's really good. And um, as you, as you minister to these student athletes, um, whether mm-hmm. it's a, a chaplain listening or, or a coach, um, what's, what are some questions that, that you really like to ask to try to peel back layers quickly mm-hmm. um, or, or slowly um, and just yeah. to let them know, Hey, I love you. Like the, these questions are intentional. Yeah. I ask questions on probably three different layers and I do that in, intentionally. Whether it's in group settings, I, I ask these questions as part of how I'd help develop teams. But I also ask them on one-on-one conversations over coffee or sitting across a team meal or something else. And so I'll ask questions at the fact level. Everybody will give you the facts. What's your name? Where are you from? What's your jersey number? You know, where'd you go to school? All that, all that stuff. They'll give you the facts pretty simply. What are you studying? All that. That's pretty easy to get to. If, they're, if we're still tracking and things are working, I may ask the next level question where I'll say, Tell me what it is you love about football. I'll look for something that elicits their passion for sport. I'll ask them about the toughest opponent they ever played against or the greatest team they ever played on or something like that where I'm trying to elicit a story that gets their passion for why they're here, that kind of stuff out of them. Where they're like, man, I played in this great, it was awesome. Yeah, I want to hear those stories. So if you can get that, then you're a, another level deeper where you're understanding why they're here in a sense, but there's something about them that really makes them go in the game. Then if I want to ask something right at the heart level, I'm going to ask them to risk emotion and some of them will, and some of them won't. So I'm going to try to get them. I'm going to give them a chance to be vulnerable if they will. So some of those questions are like, Hey, if I could give you the opportunity and you could, change lives with somebody for two years you exchange your life for his and for just two weeks but you who would you pick and why tell me why and so some guys who are not going to be vulnerable they'll give you the you know a porn star or some uh celebrity or some other thing or whatever he's just not going to go that direction and you, you hear a story okay we're done but then others will give you something that's right out of their heart and now it's on I can really see his heart. Uh, case in point, we're doing this in a team setting one night with uh, Nick King. Nick's, uh, Nick's number eight. He's from East St. Louis, Illinois, cornerback. Nick was a senior. And I said, Nick, who would it be? Two weeks, switch lives. And he said, well, it'd be my dad. I said, why, Nick? Nick says, my dad has diabetes. He just had a leg amputated. It'd be fun for my dad to know what it feels like to be a young man again. I love Nick King. What a great answer. I mean, rips his heart open. Here it is. I'm like, that's it right there. There's a deeper connection than just what you love about the game or what number is on your jersey. That's the stuff right there. That I can go right back to that moment with Nick anytime I see him now. That 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 relationship is wide open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. And, and it just seems uh 
um, how important it is, the ability to build relationships, to build trust. And uh, yep. just getting into your book, it, it really spoke to me uh, as a new chaplain. I felt like I was able to kind of sit down uh, with with uh, a mentor or, or my father good. to just get some good advice. And uh, good. but page 15, you had a quote, it says, mm-hmm. uh, let your gift of intuition work for you and for those you serve. And, yeah. and just as you're talking, you know, trying to read the room, know which guy to maybe ask that third level question. Mm-hmm. Um, just how, how do you know, you know, when when to, to trust your intuition? Because I think a lot of coaches uh, rely on that gut. Um, but just curious, you know, sometimes we wrestle, is this God's voice or is this mine? Um, but how do you know mm-hmm. when to trust the intuition? Great question. Well, I would say here at 66, I trust my gut. I trust my intuitive thoughts way more than I did at 26 and even more than at 46 because they're they're proven right more often. I have a longer track record of them being proven right. And so, but how do you tiptoe into that without, it's not like, okay, stand on the ledge or jump. It's not that consequential always. I can take a manageable risk in asking that question in asking, taking the intuitive hunch and saying, Hey, I'm not sure you see this, but I've got a hunch that this is right. Am I right? Right. You can ask, ask it in a, a soft question as opposed to, Hey, you seem to be a freak. What's wrong with you? No, mm-hmm. I just ask. I've got a bit of a hunch that you're thinking this, is that on or am I just way off? What do you think? And so you can ask it in a question that way of giving them room to uh, confirm or deny what you what you're sensing, and I've done that with lots of people. Do I say, you know what, coach? I'm not sure this is true, but I have a gut instinct that I'm seeing this in that relationship between these two players. Do you see that? Just be able to talk about it. Often they're going, man, I didn't know if anybody else saw that, but I did. The coach, you know, he'll affirm it, and so but acting on it. It just takes a little bit of trust of yourself to say, yeah, I think I'm going to go ahead and say this, but it, it could be your knucklehead too. And you had bad pizza. Okay. But it's worth the risk. If you, if, if you make it a tiny risk, as opposed to I'm going to stake my career on this. No, usually it doesn't come down to that. Gotcha. That's good. And I think uh, for me, uh, I spent seven years as a coach. And so I think by the end of those seven years, I started to really trust the gut. And I'm in a month like four now in a new role. And I find myself doing more second guessing. Like, is this the right thing? Is it the wrong thing? And um, And, I mean, honestly, reading Malcolm Gladwell's book, uh, Blink, helped us also. Okay. Uh, There was a lot of of stuff in Blink about uh, making snap judgments and how often one tends to be right. And how the greater the consequence of the decision, uh, it probably makes more sense to trust your gut. And if it's like choose or, you know, um, Cheerios or Wheaties for breakfast, well, read the box. It's not the consequence is not that great. Just read the box. Get all the details you can. But if it's a big decision like buy this car or buy that car, buy the one you like. If it's hire this person or hire that person, hire the one that you had the first 30 second gut instinct that that's the right guy hire that one so things of that nature that that book was really good that's good thanks for the uh, for the advice there and um just one other one other area um just as as whether it's a coach or for me now as, mm-hmm. uh, as a chaplain um just you talk you called it the dirty little secret just uh and mm-hmm. uh 
into chaplaincy and ministers, uh, you know, like everyone's human, everyone has their struggles, but um, I just want to read a quote. You said, uh, many, if not most of us are just as performance based in our sense of personal worth as those whom we serve. And just curious from your experience, you know, how, how do we get out of this, uh, as people that want to make a difference for eternity? Um, how do you get out of the stats and the numbers and the, and the ego and the pride? Well, yeah, that's a, that's a dangerous thing because guess what? You're not always going to succeed. And, uh, for us who serve as team chaplains, I mean, early on, it was painful to live through some really bad seasons. And it, and I found myself kind of riding the same emotional roller coaster that the team would. And I'm like, no, I have to be, I have to have better perspective than this. I can't just be hung on that same thing. Um, because in a large part, that's what they need from the chaplain is a sense of perspective. I'm going to love you as much on their worst day as I am your best day. Yeah. That's, that's more like the Lord. Let's do that. And so, um, but it's also that way in our ministry performance. Sometimes we'll, we'll be walking away from a pregame chapel or something like, man, I just didn't get the response I was hoping for. And I have to kick myself going, is that why you did this? To get a particular response from those guys? Stop it. No, I'm here to be faithful, not to judge myself based on somebody's response or lack thereof. Or it's if you're doing a thing and it's not compulsory and you're going, oh, only six guys showed up today instead of 105. What am I? No, you think you're a failure. Who says? That's ridiculous. And so, but we have to watch ourselves because those of us who grew up rather competitive and remain so, it's wired in our yeah. in our nature to to be able to to want to compare to count to measure to all that stuff. We have to be really careful to not to do that because it can uh, one the comparisons are mostly bogus, and two uh, they will really rob us of the joy that comes of faithful service with no expectations beyond that. The scripture says very plainly that it is required of a servant that he be found faithful. It says nothing there about successful. It says nothing there about, no, 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 be faithful. And uh, that checks me all the time. That's really good. What, um, how do you, how do you keep in check with that to, to stay focused on, on just being faithful? Um, is there a way for you to catch yourself if, if you start to drift or do you have daily reminders? Like, all right, just be faithful, just be faithful. No, it's more a, a matter of uh, recalling what's my mission. What's my calling. If I'm faithful to that, I'm on it. This is good. And the results I'm happy, man. I'm more thrilled when we do successful things, of course. Yeah. But I'm, I'm not going to also get caught in the euphoria of that or the, you know, the, the despair of the thing didn't work. No, because I'm, if I'm faithful, that's what the Lord wants. And if, if I'm unsuccessful, maybe I need to change strategies or maybe I just need to continue. But the point is uh, that thing's not an end unto itself. So again, just, you know, well done, well done. Good and faithful servant is for exactly. sure what we want to hear. And, um, I just wanted to take you back to a moment. Um, I, I don't know if you've had a chance to reflect, uh, just mm-hmm. on your, your sports ministry, uh, career, if, if we can call it that, but just, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was about 28 years ago when, when Sean Watson, um, <laughs> called you in or, or you went in, but I'm just curious, like 
you got to be a little bit crazy and this is myself included to, to go into sports ministry right um, but what was going on to your life and and why did you go in that day to have that talk with with sean great question and this is how backward my entrance to sports ministry was uh, sean had just come to the university he had played here went on and uh, played at illinois and, and then ga at uh, um, miami of ohio the cradle of coaches. And all of a sudden he comes back to us as a 34 year old head coach. I was just 38. And I, I saw he'd come back and I thought, I'm just going to go back and welcome him to town. Just come, welcome back to town. Um, since he had played here, grew up just, you know, 10 minutes to the East. And I'd been working for a short-term mission agency, administrating short-term mission trips and with a group I'd been volunteering with for years and went by, I was going to start with FCA in the fall of that year, but here it is, July, go knock on the door, walk in, uh, sat there and said, welcome and all that stuff and talk a little bit. And I said, coach, any, I'd love to do anything I could. I'd love to help you. Whatever I could do, I'd love to. He said, okay. When I, when I played here, we had a team chaplain. Will you do that for me? I said, sure. I hadn't the foggiest notion what to do. Not the first idea. None. Agreed to do it anyway, uh, just because I I saw opportunity. I saw him with way too little money. He's only 34. He has this mountain of responsibility. How in the world is this guy? He needs a teammate. That was the whole thing. This guy needs help. Uh, okay, I'm going to help him. Didn't have a clue what to do. Had figured it out over time, but holy smoke, it was all trial and error. Gotcha. Gotcha. Lots and of that- trial, lots of error. <laughs> I'm sure. And uh, I'm in it too. The uh, just after these many years of, of serving so faithfully and, and having uh, such a web of, of impact, um, you know, you, you mentioned a four to one ratio of, um, you know, just going to, to shoot the breeze, hang out, mm-hmm. you know, to have conversations compared to just showing up to have that end result Bible study or, or spiritual conversation. Um, but just curious, as you go out to, to minister and mentor, do you have any any routines uh, that you mm-hmm. do uh, to kind of set yourself up, get your heart ready? Absolutely. Um, if I'm going to go serve a team, one we already talked about, one that's learn everybody's name, so that I'm if I'm standing there, I mean, there's lots of mundanity going on. There's lots of standing around watching, and not, absolutely nothing appears to be happening. Appears to be. However, they're watching me the whole time. They're watching me also. So we win just by presence. But so preparation is part of it. Learn names, learn what's going on, try to get some background on people so that I can ask a good question. Often with baseball players, like when in a minor league baseball club, I would stand there at the batting cage and I just show up and I'm going to chat with guys as they come through the batting cage. And I'd say, one of my stock questions was, Tell me about your path through baseball that landed you in Marion, Illinois. And here it comes. They tell you the whole path all the way through. And then I was drafted in the 45th round by this play. I went to here and I went to there and played double A here. And and so they tell you the whole story. So I know a lot more about that guy in a 30-second conversation than I did previously. Just asking a good question. That's part of the preparation for me is prepare by asking good questions. Um, Learning about the people. Uh, finding ways to engage them um, relationally. Some of those are the simplest ways to do that. And so for me, I love Socratic method. So I'm going to ask questions and I lead conversations by asking questions. And so it's really simple. 
Um, but that's what I do standing on a sideline and uh, I'll do those same things in layers, usually standing on a sideline. I get one or two, but it's hard to get to the third one unless there's a crisis going on. But sometimes that third one pops up because player says, Hey, would you pray for my mom? She has cancer. Suddenly it's on. And that'll happen between drills when there's something that pressing in the player's heart, mm. it's, it's going to pop out. Gotcha. And just for you to be, uh, you know, full, have that full cup, um, your relationship with the Lord to stay strong. Um, I, I read about, I love just your, your monthly uh, time to reflect and, and get away mm -hmm. to get perspective in your annual retreats, but um, just mm -hmm. on a daily basis, do you have um, something that's helped you kind of stay close to the Lord so you can pour out so much in other people? Yeah. One thing I learned from my mentor is a daily reading of the Proverbs. Um, so that's been that way for 40 some odd years, reading that all the time. I have a set of people that I text those texts, those scriptures to. I'll pick one or two verses every day and text them to a set of people uh, and tweet them. And then I have another set of people that I'm sending uh, some kind of processed text of scripture coupled with a prayer that I've written. Um, so I have a set of those people who most of them are in a process of battling a disease that's trying to kill them. Mm -hmm. And so just to try to keep them encouraged, I send that stuff every day to those people. I have a young lady who's a former basketball player here, who's now working for a professional club. And I send her a, a text right now. She's reading first uh, Samuel. So I prompt her to read her Bible by just sending her a couple of verses from the chapter of first Samuel where we are. So keeping those things happening, partly it's for my reading, but partly it's also to share with them the responsibility that I feel to share with them really prompts my heart to read more. Mm. And so that's, that's a healthy thing for me. Um, and then I'll just, I, I read lots of books and um, that really energizes me when I get to read good authors. And then um, I have a, a coffee group that I meet with every Tuesday and have for 28 years that on a fellowship level, on a community level, those guys we have walked through some really ugly stuff together, but our souls are really knit well together. And uh, they're the kind of guys where if I'm in the emergency room, they're going to show up. Mm. Uh, there's that level of um, relationship that really helps you deal with the hard stuff in life. So That's I'd true. say those kind of daily and weekly disciplines are part of uh, a life that doesn't wear out. Yeah. That's really special. You found that that kind of group. Um, just seeing the books there, they're behind you. When do you when do you make time to to keep that uh, reading habit going? Well, I'm odd in that I binge read. I'll uh, like if I go on a trip, I'm going to read while I'm on the plane or while okay. I'm sitting in the airport. And so it's like the other day, just on one one day of travel, I read John uh, one a, a John Wooden book. You read the whole thing on just during travel. And I'm in the middle of reading uh, Dean Smith's The Carolina Way. It's been my travel book of late. And I'm, it's the third time I've read the book. But I'm, again, underlining and gathering more stuff from it and uh, that sort of thing. But it's like when Eugene Peterson died, I had read a number of things that um, he had done over the years. But upon his death, I thought, you know what, I'm going to read everything in my library of Eugene Peterson again. And I did. That took uh, you know, two or three months, but it was worth it. Mm. But it was prompted by that moment of his death. How do I honor 
the investments he's made in my life, I'm going to read all his stuff again. Mm. And uh, so for me, that's, I kind of re- read in binges like that, as opposed gotcha. to every day. Uh, <laughs> no, it doesn't work that my life is a little too chaotic for that. Gotcha. That's good. Well, man, we just have uh, not, not, we could go for round two and probably round three uh, again, if we can get you back one day, but thank you so much sure. for sharing. I filled uh, a page of notes. And so <laughs> um, I just appreciate that and love the book recommendations too, but uh, we just like to end with prayer. Is there anything that we can be praying with you about? I'm about to go to uh, Cambridge, England this weekend for the uh, third global Congress on sport and Christianity. It's taking place there. Brilliant event where one of the only places in the world where the academic community of theology and sport collide with the practitioners of ministry and sport. And we happen to be in the same room at the same time and talk to each other. It's a phenomenal event. And uh, I can't wait to go hang out with the smart kids and share our uh, insights on what we see daily interacting with players and what they're seeing as they do research and, and, and really collect brilliant thought. We together, we wind up each of our work informs the other and it's a, it's a great thing. So I just want that thing to be all that it can be. Mm, that's awesome. Well, let's, let's pray. Father, we just bow down before you and just declare that you are God and uh, just thank you so much for this day. Thanks for this conversation. Uh, thanks for the work that you've done in mm-hmm. and through Roger for uh, for years through through FCA and, and Nations of Coaches. Um, we just are, are so thankful for that, uh, for all the, the coaches out there that have been touched and all, all the um, chaplains that are growing under his his leadership um and right now we just lift up this trip to to england and just pray god that your hand would be all over it that um <laughs> that you just bless the the time and everything that they can uh, come up with and just that you give roger special time um just to share and tell others about you while he travels that he'd just be a bright light uh there in england uh, thanks again for this time god and just pray that you bless the rest of this day in jesus name i pray amen amen Amen. So grateful for Roger Light being with us, sharing his insight. Um, I love how he just breaks it down to practical applications. And coach, I hope you were leaning in as he was sharing about the questioning. Um, As a coach, as a chaplain, whatever role you're in, learning who your athletes are, learning their name, where they're from, what their likes are, but then moving into more than just factual questions. Uh, getting to the heart, the emotion, um, asking the question that sometimes opens up and peels back that um, athlete being vulnerable. And so I know, Chad, I just really locked into the idea of um, asking those deeper questions to learn more about my athletes and uh, having that deeper connection. Yeah, 100%. And I just really appreciate his simplicity of uh, what he wants to do when he's ministering to a coach. You know, he just said, I want them to know that God loves them. And I want them to know that I love them and really just trying to show that over time, over serving um, to just break through. And I think every coach, like that should be our heart's desire too. Like we want our players to know that God loves them and that the coach loves them. And um, yeah, I loved just the idea of just questions. And he, he kind of talked about some soft questions too, as he's trying to peel back layers of his, his athletes. He, you know, I, I have a hunch, you know, or is that right? Uh, mm. Do you, 
do you see that? Like the, these are some ways to kind of um, keep peeling back layers. Um, but yeah, so much, so much good uh, within this episode. We're, we're super thankful for Roger to come on. And um, yeah, if, if you could help us uh, spread the word, word of mouth or through social media, uh, rate and review, uh, that just helps this ministry to keep spreading. And so uh, we end every episode the same way. And whether you're driving home on a commute, whether you're getting to the office early, uh, whether you just got a workout in, uh, just remember that the mission field is right where you're at.